OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund Ask an Angel. I'm your host, Jeffrey Podman, and today we'd like to welcome Jan. Welcome to the show today. Thank you very much for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're excited to talk to you because one of the biggest reasons that I think I, I was really diving into learning more about yourself was that you focus strictly on fintech. And that is huge because there's not a lot of investors that have really funneled themselves into kind of one area of focus and then been really good at it. So I think we're going to start today off by if you can share a little bit about yourself, some background all the way back to you know the university days. Uh, even uh, from bus.com, but share a little bit about that. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Uh, we're, we're digging pretty far back there. So I'll try to keep this uh, relatively quick, not to make people fall asleep here. But uh, I was always in finance. That was what I chose in university from the early days. Uh, so, you know, me being in fintech, maybe I'm just trying to justify my own existence or my degree that I had recently received. Well, it's recently is a, is a bit of a stretch, I would say. Uh, but since then, I became a consultant and I was doing, you know, M&A transactions in the satellite sector, billion dollar plus, uh, always looking to automate things. I eventually said, how do I get more into this? I want to get really working hands on with startups. What skills do I have? I started being the finance guy, uh, helped about 15 companies raise 20 million bucks, including bus.com, which was share the bus when I had joined them uh, and then the team and, and Kyle and Wolf when we were not even incorporated at the time and, and working with, uh, you know, next to a space heater and an art studio, trying to figure out how to make ends meet and helping them, you know, raise capital at that point. Uh, did that for a bit until they got to about series A. Uh, I left off at that point to start to explore what could be done. I recognize that the early stage ecosystem and fintech was within Canada um, missing. We weren't having the right conversations. Uh, the thought leadership was missing. You know, that buzz that you get when you go to the valley that everyone's, you know, just oozing with ideas and startups as a whole. Just, I just felt like it was uh, disparate and, and, and diverse uh, groups unconnected across Canada that I said, how do I solve for this? And so I built this thing called FinTech Cadence, a nonprofit that's doing well to this day. It's nurturing that next generation of talent and early ideas and projects and yeah, early startups, shall we say, uh, as they recognize, you know, a good ecosystem requires a funnel. And the next bit of that funnel was, you know, helping those those venture businesses right at the growth stage that I still think is missing, which which makes for a wicked opportunity. I bumped into a fifth generation family who also knew wealth management for hundreds of years. So they want to do fintech. That's what they know based on the legacy of Sir Herbert Holt, who was the longest serving chairman of the Royal Bank of Canada and, and took it to grow its assets about 10x. So they do know a little bit about how to build uh, financial services within Canada and internationally partnered up with them. We got started and, and we're off to the races like that. So uh, it's been, uh, it's been a fun ride. I mean, something about <clears throat> myself, I guess is um I'm always trying to give a hand back to those, those early sponsors, those always early supporters that have helped me along the way and find a way, no matter what the mechanism to reward them on the upside and remember them along the way, 
whether they're even asking for it or not. I think that is an important piece to it to always remember where you came from. And I think that's important to building a community to remember those and, and give recognition to those who have supported you along the way. I love it. That's all brilliant. Uh, and a big fan of helping people and giving back. I think that is uh, the smart way to do business. But I think it's also when you've learned a lot, it's really helpful to be able to figure out how do you share that back and how do you help that new generation of founders come through. And, and I want to take that kind of piece and take a step back to even your bus.com days. When you were working in this and you said you were working in this heater cold environment that you were trying to build from and it was really right down from the to the nuts and bolts of really what it takes to run a startup and be part of that um you have this hat that you're wearing that's all fintech based which i think is phenomenal um i find that a lot of people in the banking sector tend to have a lot more knowledge of how to run a company and be part of a company than any other kind of groupings uh, lawyers probably step in there as well because they get to do the the um the paperwork side but I just find that people that understand fintech, understand the numbers, can really put together how this business looks today, but also how it's going to scale and can this be a business in five to 10 years. So in saying that, when you joined into the bus.com, what kind of experience did you take from that? And how much of that do you see coming out today in what you're building? I think the idea of, uh, I mean, if you look at the top companies, uh, when it's the, the C-suite level, there's a big portion of the time, they're going to have a finance background, right? The understanding the lifeblood of the mechanism of the organization to identify the areas to focus your time on and the problems and opportunities, right? Not always the case too. There could be schools of thought opposed to this in the sense that there is something called shareholder value versus stakeholder value. And some will look to maximize shareholder over stakeholder. And there's the school, there's debates on which one is better for the long-term benefits of all. Uh, but I'll digress from, from that point, leave that as a bit of a cliffhanger and get back to say, when, you, when you're as the finance position, and increasingly I'm seeing this more with those that were in the venture capital space as well, there's like this, like, oh, everyone wants to get into venture capital. Uh, but really what you're doing is you're kind of acting like an operator in many ways for your portfolio company. So in, in many ways that I was, uh, I had multiple companies I was working with and bus.com was the main one that I was spending a lot of time with as the finance person, helping them raise the capital like that investment banker style, but also trying to identify new opportunities for them to support. Um, and so we looked at things, for instance, like R&D projects, right? Uh, we, I was big on multidisciplinary teams and, and partnering with academic institutions and bringing in the top talent, the top students, because we all know getting talent is incredibly hard. If you go directly to professors, they're usually going to refer their top students to be able to work on this project. And they're good. <laughs> like We do have good students here in Canada. Uh, and then you can also, when you do that, it's actually pretty easy to get grant money. Uh, we love to get give money towards anything that's deep R&D. And it's pretty easy to spin it when you got professors and students now working and they're excited on it because you are building good stuff. And so we, that actually built a lot of the, the basis for uh, the, the moat uh, underneath bus.com and because there's a lot of optimization models that they needed to require to build as they built that out and spoke to a larger vision that was there and continued to invest uh, in into after I was gone. I've been a little removed, it's been a couple of years. I'm only assuming as such now, but uh, I think those were, were fundamental. Like we've been re recognizing how important it is to build your tech stack and your moats, but leveraging what we have in Canada is the ability to build deep R&D to complement what you're building 
Um, it's pretty, I'm, it's very rare. I don't see a place where you can apply, you know, technology and, and deep R and D to be able to, to solve for what you're doing. Uh, and especially seeing that across the case for all the fintechs that we've been, but you know, like it doesn't, I mean, when you're in the finance position there, you, you tend to jump from different departments, you're, you're building financial models from the marketing side and saying, okay, well, where is the most cost efficient way from the marketing tactics that we're using, right? What about the sales team and how do we better incentivize them? I'm big on finding the right incentive mechanisms to be able to make it work. So you end up getting a breadth of a lot of different areas from it. And then through that, you recognize what needs to get built to be able to get to your fundraising next milestone. So now when you go into it and you, you know, we somehow ended up with this fund and we're investing in companies, well, we have just this you know, natural reaction to where they need to focus that will maximize the odds right, of them being able to close their next financing round. That's great. And what I really liked about a few of those things that you said, and even you started it by going into the shareholder versus the stakeholder. And I can remember back from my corporate days. And one of those things was that, you know, you're in a big organization and when you're running and gunning and you're growing quickly, usually you have a product person that's running the business because they're all about sales, closing deals, aggressively growing this business. And then when things are about to retract and you need to find a way to cut costs, re-engineer the business, the model, you put in a finance person. So then now that finance side goes in and restructures everything and figures out how to trim things down. So now you kind of go back to that. What is the best for the business at this time? And I find that a lot of the startups tend to kind of push away the finance side at the beginning because they don't typically understand the numbers or understand the metrics. And it sounds like what you were doing at bus.com is you were really becoming that revenue officer and you were figuring out all the different avenues on where you can save money, make money and grow the business and scale it to, as you said, to that series A uh, component while you were using R&D dollars and you were getting in government uh, subsidies, bursaries, whatever that might've been, figuring out how to make this business grow and be stable, which I think is kind of really crucial. And a lot of investors, angel investors at early stage really do lean on that um, and I kind of wonder is if there is a lack of understanding in finance at such an early spot, how do these startups get a better position or find somebody like yourself to kind of really help them work their way through this? Uh, great questions. I, I did want to double back just quickly on the idea of shareholder uh, versus stakeholder value. Uh, while I'm certainly very well uh, attuned to shareholder value and financial modeling and and, and looking at You'll be surprised how many ways you can quantify things uh, to ensure that you can better uh, pinpoint it. There are times where it's harder and it's a bit of a feeling. You do your best to get your analytics and your numbers in place. And that is the a key to the, the good founders. When you know I was watching and working with, with Kyle at his days, he was very fortunate to, he truly understands that. And there's a creative aspect to it as much as possible. You have to trust the instincts of those driving the bus in this case which leads to, uh, to, to new areas that, that have substantially longer term value. So you think, well, should we be cutting all these costs here at the, to optimize shareholder value in the short term, we might be foregoing a long-term benefit of building a better community of stakeholders who actually in turn generate value. We're not able to quantify yet 
maybe just because we haven't asked the right questions, we haven't cut it the right way to look at it. And, and in doing so, we might be foregoing that opportunity that once we do figure out and when it hits a certain level, you go, wow, this is super value add. Uh, we didn't quite kind of see that right away. So, and that's a bit of the instincts that you try to find in good founders. And it's hard sometimes when you're having conversations with someone of, of people who only see it from a shareholder perspective, uh, you can have a lot of friction. And there are, there are a lot of, yeah, they're, 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 depending on where you're from, sometimes there's a geographical perspective of arguments on this, that some might be more better trained in shareholder value versus stakeholder, but it's a balance between both. And hopefully, you know, the reason the message to get out here is if you are in one camp, try to start seeing the other side, because that is the line that you need to really be able to walk for us to have better conversations on how to start building these businesses better. Uh, to your point on where startups can find this as they go forward. I mean, it, there's never been a better time right now to be a better startup. It doesn't mean it's not hard. There are plenty of uh, programs like, you know, we, I personally got started or, and then now the team has, has taken off on their own rights and very successfully FinTech Cadence to support those early founders and get into the next milestones. There's tons of people uh, now that are, are, are playing those sort of financial roles uh, to support and, 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 you know, in the early grinding, I, I did that before I helped 15 companies raise 20 million bucks. You try to get creative on the ways that you can be paid because uh, it's not, they don't have always a lot of capital up front. I do believe in success space that if you are good and you can put your name on it and you did the research on that company, then you should be more success space. Uh, and it can be actually more profitable for you to be able to do it that way. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, between all the things that are <clears throat> readily available, it's, it's hard though. It's very time consuming though. And that's a bit of the challenge in the ecosystem is that a lot of these, let's call it grants or early funding tickets, uh, take a lot of work, right? When you're getting those first angel checks or the friends and family, if you can rely on that, or if you're pulling from, yeah, the, these, these grants, unfortunately, sometimes take a really long time to fill in and, and we're still not quite there. So that's more of a message to those higher up to further improve and rubber stamp them. I think they serve a good cause. I think we need more people focused on the early stage funnel because I think sometimes we overlook how are we going to continue to build this. And I do think they are working, they are slightly inefficient, and there are different people who think we should do different things with these types of mechanisms, whether I don't believe the answer is completely removing them. As I've seen a lot of companies use them to, to, to springboard themselves into their next, uh, to, to their, to the next stage of their company. Um, but yeah, there's, there's tons available. It just takes a decent amount of time to review. So it sounds like you got to really find somebody that has some experience in early stage, um, modeling and at least understand how and where to start to help that founder out. And if we look at it and say that a founder typically seems to be an operator or a product person, um, you know, the odd time they're going to veer outside of that. They could be a technical founder. They could be more in the numbers side, but I find that that seems to be um, less than it is more. So you really are looking for someone that understands this. And when do you see this as being crucial to the business? Do you see this that after they raise their first funds, they should be looking for a, a part-time CFO uh, or is it kind of wait till they get to a series A? Like, is there a timing where, you know, because it's the same thing when you find a co-founder that's technical because you're yeah. not, you know, did you do that right from day one or do you wait until you build your product, go to market, then find a, C a, a CTO or do you wait until you've got some dollars in there? So where do you see that being a, a good win for a founder and not to be cost um, depreciating against the business? Because obviously every founder can't uh, afford to have a CTO, a CFO, a CMO all in day one when they're in their seed round. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, fantastic question. So it just depends on the stage of the game. More often than not, my perspective was based on the budgets. As t- it depends. Like, okay, if you have resources and you're fortunate enough, you should already be having a CFO for a day a week type of thing, right? Not everyone's in that boat because they didn't, re- you know, have a su- sufficient capital to do it. They're incredibly bootstrapped. So what do you do? A lot of the early stage founders we used to work with, it was almost part of the game to train them, right? So, you know, if you would go to different incubators and whatnot, like that's what my role was. Essentially, I wouldn't necessarily do all the models. I would, you know, get them the templates. I'd have them fill it in and have them walk it so they understood what they were doing, because that's going to be an important piece. They're going to need to at least understand what is being communicated to them. So that way, when the, the CFO comes in eventually through time, that they can better have better conversations and direct them and delegate to them as they truly have a better understanding it. But that's a bit of a line you have to walk between, you know, do you are they able to learn? Can they get the expertise in-house to be able to build it? And at some point, there's just too much modeling that really needs to get done. Generally, that comes, I mean, you would love to see it at the seed, but definitely at the series A, you need to have a bunch of models properly articulating the unit economics of where you're going. It's rare you get at the seed. We That's where we're pushing our teams to already start to model at that stage and just show that they're thinking about it, show the assumptions behind it. Um, and you can get part-time people to come in for a day a week, quite affordable to get those analytics and help you know curate those numbers accordingly. Uh, or you need to find out how to do it yourself. Like you got to have your financial projections and model in order. I mean, that's the bare minimum to get started. Uh, you know, it's easier when you already have the background to do it because you can whip it together more relatively quickly. If not, the issue, of course, is it takes time. If you've never done it before, it's probably going to take you like a week. But then you have to ask yourself, is, is it better suited as a founder to go off and close business than spend a week on a financial model, right? Someone like, you know, someone who's good at it could do it in half a day. Right. Like, so uh, it's just about trying to balance, like thinking about how much time, t- time is money, right. The resources and where you're better suited to focus and prioritize. Oh, that's great. And and I do, you're right that there's going to be a benchmark of where this is going to be more successful for you to bring somebody in where you can financially support it. But investors are also looking for that stability as well. They're looking for someone that is in that role versus having it all done by the CEO. The CEO can only do so many things to make a business effective and efficient. So uh, you're right. I do see that as being uh, pretty crucial. Um, It's interesting. I remember when I started my first company, uh, I had three days to put a financial model together. And I literally had a friend and I'm like, look, I don't even have time to do this. I'm out pitching, doing this. Can you put this together for me? It took them five days. By the time I got it back, I was almost in the realization of, I should have done this myself. And it's funny because... When you do do it yourself, you learn quickly what you need, what you don't need. And then after that, I started just obviously learning and building them myself. But as you start to move through the business, you also start to look for those efficiencies and finding people that are rock stars and that can circumvent that time. And now you've got someone that can do a model in half a day. They understand your business. They understand what you're trying to achieve. And now investors can get behind that as well. They can put in their two cents and you can keep modeling and changing because really at the end of the day, investors are looking for companies that can scale quick and be totally investable. And this financial piece is pretty crucial to any of that movement. Agreed. When you're looking at um, the scaling aspect or where you guys have now start to step in yourselves and, and start looking at these pre-seed or seed round companies in the fintech space, how crucial is it for you to have people on the team that understand finance or because they're early on, you guys can overstep and take that position 
for those startups to help them? Uh, it, it's one aspect, right? Like you know, like at building a building a startup, you gotta be you gotta be skilled across multiple disciplines to be able to make it work, right? Or or be able to find people to support you in that. But as the founders, you still need to understand it. So you can't just offload it and expect not, you know, and then say, tell me what the numbers are. Like you need to understand the, the meeting. And, uh, but from our side, uh, generally, I mean, as mentioned, right around the seed, they're growing, we're starting to build their unit economics of it. You know, here's an opportunity, like what's the cost, customer acquisition cost, right? Like the true one in terms of how you're going and the leads and how they're moving through the funnel and the time and the cycles and all that stuff moving into how much money are you making and when do the checks come in and you know what when's the first close of it and how what could be the expected lifetime value of it which is even more hypothetical at that point because it's relatively still early right you just want to see that you know they're able to repay the customer acquisition costs quickly right as fast as possible like a month or, or whatnot and so when do we start i mean yeah we, we we work with them we start helping them model it so we work directly with the founders to be able to do it and then we have uh you know partners teed up that we can uh send to them to say hey do you, do you want someone to do it with you you're you're tight on time usually they're starting to raise rounds with us so capital is available um, we think it's pretty important to be doing. You do see a difference between those who do it to raise the money and those who do it because they they they're learning, right? They understand the importance of of charting the course by leveraging these accordingly, which is an interesting perspective. Um, so yeah, I would say you know at that point, you, you know it's it's about a day a week of time. I would say uh, usually, and then as you go into the A, you start asking yourselves. Uh, even after a proper seed, do you start bringing in someone full time? But they, they're going to have a bigger role beyond that. Is that your operations person who can also you know bit branch off into it? Um, can they have a multiple wear multiple hats beyond just uh, the the finance role? You find that the talent that you're bringing in at any of these stages, and, and I think this would be good for a startup to understand, is that I think when people start to build companies, they think everybody that comes in needs to be working for them today. We'll be working with them in five years. Is that, and what have you seen in the last few years of startups? How fast are they transitioning and growing their business, scaling, and then how fast are people transitioning in and out of their business? Is there like, like a two to three year window is that, you know what, the same team that I would start working with in their pre-seed, they're still together at their series B and uh, they're crushing it. Like, what is the, what are you seeing in that avenue and what can founders look forward to and, and what things should they be looking for when they are hiring this talent? Yeah, it's a great question, especially right now with the great quitting that's uh, that's occurring, right? Opportunities are pl uh, plentiful. I do think that from, from our portfolio companies, for the most part, They've done a, a a great job of being able to maintain the, the staff that are in there on average, right? Now, usually, I mean, it's all it's all about balancing the 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 vision and what you're building and the opportunity that they're getting because you know you could go work for potentially corporate have substantially more stability, but you know at, at the cost of stability, you might be kind of bored, right? Because you have your focus and your department, you don't feel like you're contributing the same way. You know, when you look at the spectrum of what it takes to, for a person, right, to be satisfied with their work, I think there's multiple avenues. Compensation is one, and you can compensate, yes, on salary, and you can also compensate 
on uh, upside potential through shares, right? Okay, so does that one, you know, is there a greater upside there that's that's making it interesting for them to participate? Uh, and, and, and side little note for this early stage startups, everyone should really look into healthcare plans because generally uh, it's actually very economical because you're already paying some into the healthcare system uh, automatically the, through the taxation issues. So you're better off actually looking at it because it's, it's a marg- slightly marginal increase for what I think is a great value add to a little perk that we have to be able to offer to your, to your employees when you're at that stage. You have to have at least three employees. <laughs> so, so knowing what your stage is. Um, but uh, from the employee, so beyond that though, the other side is like, do you, how do you build your brand right now? What is a brand? It's, it's your own personal brand. Like, are, are you growing your skill sets, uh, in that sense, but are you, are you meeting people? Are you known? Are you recognized as a leader there? Have you been networking and, and associated through that position so that, you know, that you, you're, 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 you have more, let's say power and distribution and network to lean on as you go forward. The other thing that's kind of not as well understood is the idea of, of learning, right? To to be able, and I think sometimes we we under we we forget that we we pay to go to school and then we get a job and then we just start saying, hey, I want to get paid the most at the cost of learning, uh, which is unfortunate in many ways because you know that should be you know the way to for self fulfillment. It's a path to be able to identify where you know how to grow and jump the ladder, the corporate ladder hoops. Because if you're deep in an area that requires an expertise and you're passionate and you're loving what you're learning, it's key. And the last is just, just a great work environment, right? Like obviously is it, does it align with your personality and your beliefs? So those are all different spectrums. And so each person you have to identify when you're speaking to them, you know, do they really want to be in startup? Are they testing this out? Have they been in it before? Do they know what to expect? Increasingly, you are seeing more people that are jumping from, you know, coming in uh, and working for X amount of years and, and getting some equity and building a portfolio of equity and going on to the next thing. But if you if you're able to line up those sort of four points that align with your company and that person, which is hard to do, I mean, it's still you're going to have like anything. Sometimes it still feels a bit like a coin toss, right? When you're when you're hiring for people. Uh, but, and especially in this time, you can see a good retention. We've seen some of our, our companies have been able to maintain their staff for five years and they're like five years old, right? So how have they done that, right? Because they've grown at the right pace to, to show that it's starting to yield rewards that, um, that lines with this vision, they're bought into it, they're contributing to a bigger mission here. They feel they're you know instrumental in that journey. Uh, learning a bunch, building their network. So they're hitting all the aspects, right? So, um, but in other cases, if you're not growing as fast, right? And then you're asking about the compensation. Okay, I'm learning, but for what, what cost? Can I, can I learn just as much elsewhere, making more money? Then you start asking that and startups can be tiring, right? They can be at some point you want to kind of coast and believe it or not, you want to coast by going back to corporate, right? Get paid well to work the nine to five jobs. No, that's great. And, and, I kind of want to touch on one of those pieces. Like, I think the way you broke that down, it's, it's, uh, I love uh, the breakdown on the things you look for in a role, but this is also from an employer or the CEO of the company trying to keep people employed. They want to make sure that they're facilitating those same uh, buckets from ensuring that they're learning something, that they're networking, that they're being branded, that they're making uh, financial value, they're making equity. But from a financial standpoint, how do you look at the equity side of it? Um, I know you can look at it from a legal perspective and say, hey, this is how you're going to break this down. You're going to have common shares. You're going to have this. 
when you look at it from a financial perspective and you're shaping that early stage company, do you say to them, look, you're breaking out. There's three of you right now. There's going to be 300 of you in the next five years. At least that's what you're going to be shooting for. So here's how you got to set up this cap table up. You're going to do a, an ESOP program. You're going to put in 10% of that at the beginning. Um, when we raise funds, you're going to do X, Y, Z. Is there a little bit you can share on that on how some of these startups can kind of envision how they should be setting their business up? for at least a little bit better for success versus waiting until they're at series A and then trying to go back and redo all of this. And that's probably going to cost them more problems than it does if they start today. Yeah, I mean, there's no, I think uh, every, every company is going to be slightly different because they're going to have a different team in place and different executives, different cap tables, so different positions that are already filled. So how do they, how much do they need uh, in this case, maybe they had different investors who came in who act like advisors and therefore do they need it? Right. Cause so I can tell you that like, Look to do ten to fifteen percent on on a, on an ESOP, and then make sure there's you know two to three percent that is there or on top of for advisory, right? But that's all depends on who's your current team and in, in place at that time, right? Uh, now, looking at it, I mean, there's a lot of benchmarks already to illustrate what is a competitive salary at that point, right? So if you're looking at the CEO position versus a CTO versus a CFO versus a COO, right? They're all, you know, they're, they're, they're range from, you know, upwards of 10 down to 1%, right. Depending on how much time and what you're looking for to fill the role, et cetera. Uh, so definitely you know, like those are pretty easy to find. You can go online and check angel list and see all the job descriptions and be like, okay, like this is what we're going to offer. It'd be, be competitive, uh, relatively speaking. And you want to be competitive. Otherwise you're starting to look cheap and you feel like people are, you're taking advantage of them, which is, which is what you're not trying to do here. As you start getting more granular, I mean, once you're once you have a seed round or you have some sort of valuation and you're priced, you have a value for what those shares are worth. And those are what the shares are worth of today. That's in some cases seen as the net present value, right? Like this is what if you were to go and to trade it to somebody else. But many of us who have invest believe there is upside and that's why you got the deal. So uh, that's why you're in the game. And, and arguably, many cases, if you do what you're supposed to do as an employee and everyone does, then the whole value should go up and it should reach that next milestone. So you, you're even though that valuation is set today as an employee, you should be thinking, well, do I really think that's the fair valuation or do I think what we're building really can actually double in value? Therefore, these shares are worth double in a sense. So I'm actually getting a great deal on this. And if it doubles, it probably can continue to go. It's hard. I get it when to see like, does it, can it be a hundred million dollar company? I mean, it's good to be asking that as an employee for sure, uh, because you want to see that it, if what it does and what you're building, like is, is going to still be around and, and contributing to it afterwards. But as you get uh, more granular, you can certainly calculate like X percentage means X amount of potential shares that you're going to be earning and adding that to your salary to show that it's uh, more beneficial. The other side also, like, you know, with your sales team, you can do very aggressive uh, sales uh, compensation uh, for them. And in fact, I'm super encouraged, like, don't even go, go more aggressive in this case, because, you know, more often than not you just need to sell, right? Like uh, that's what you're going to raise money on, on your next metrics to be able to do so. And, and that's what you had, you know, got money, received money to do. You can change those compensation metrics later on through time, especially when like new customers versus accounts and then how you manage for it. But um, you know, like the 10% referral fees are low, right? Uh, you'd expecting a minimum 30%. And I've seen other ones be more aggressive, even higher to that for the people who do bring in sales. Right. I mean, that's how if you look at some of the other bigger models like uh, partnership 
models and distributions like Lightspeed did, right? They said, hey, you know, you bring us customers, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you 30% of revenues, right? So everyone wants to partner with them, right? Like find an offer that people have a hard time refusing and they're going to see the upside. Um, the hard part though, sometimes in the early stage startups is you just don't know the pace. So you're trying to model it and you're tweaking it each time. And you're, you're concerned that it's going to fly off the rail and you're going to all this money and you just got to double check those cash flows because if the cash is not in and you owe a bunch of people money, you got to make sure that's clean. But the other side is that it might not grow as fast, right, as well for the sales. Sales take sometimes longer and you want to make sure that they are properly compensated. Otherwise, your sales team's getting disgruntled and discouraged because they're trying to sell and get these aggressive packages and targets, but they can't hit them. So it's just an ongoing iteration, especially in the early days to kind of kind of tweak it based on you know your own company. I like that. And I really like that comment that you made or the line, which I'm going to use, which is find an offer people can't refuse. Uh, I think that there's a lot of the time we're scared to make that claim or make that push because we're trying to save everywhere we can and we don't want to give things away. But it's at the end of the day, if you're going to grow your business and find out if your early stage company has a chance of surviving, you really do need to dive into that and say, you know what? I need sales. So I'm going to be aggressive. I'll give you 50% of this because maybe it only lasts a year and maybe you close 10 deals. So yeah, you walk away with 200,000, but we're going to walk away with five new customers that are going to drive our business and prove that we've got something good here. And maybe there is a way of changing the way I'm wearing this hat and start thinking more aggressively than being too conservative when it comes to sales and building your team. Yeah. Agreed. And I think overall, uh, everything you shared on how to structure your business and how to structure that next steps with your employees, I think is fantastic. I think there's always a disconnect and people are always trying to figure out, hey, how do I do this? How should I set it up? So I think that that really does offer a lot of value there. And, and you know, we've come a long way in, in the discussion in, in how startups and how a fintech uh, side of things would look at a business. Um, we're going to kind of shift a little bit of pace here. And now uh, I'd like to ask you kind of through all the companies that you've talked to, you said you've worked with and helped fund 20 of them, plus all the companies work with now, you're probably up to hundreds of companies that you've worked with, invested in some capacity, have touched. Is there any story that really stood out to you that really showed and defined what it took to be an entrepreneur? And, um, you know, the heartfelt story, I guess, you thought that she or he was going to fail and they just turned it around and cranked out a, an amazing company, you know, anything that just pops in your mind, we'd love to, to learn more on what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different cases for us on with our 35 investments to date. Uh, maybe I'll just focus on the, the one company that we're uh, some, somewhat known for for right now was with Owl doing quite well, uh, who came in, we were the first checks in and now uh, as, as they had announced, valued over a quarter, quarter billion at this point. Um, and what I've seen with them and, and seen with others that make for great founders is there's just a, a resilience and hunger to uncover how to get to that vision that they're charting. And so Owl's a story. I mean, okay, so it's a serial entrepreneur to begin with, uh, already had founder market fit in many ways. He came from ad tech, but you're like, okay, well, how does that relate to fintech? Ad tech is about profiling people. Profiling software can be fantastic in fintech space, especially augmented due diligence or sales or fraud detection. They had multiple products at that uh, and, and they just kept iterating. They recognized that there's a lot more money in finance for, for profiling style technology. 
uh, started recognizing that, okay, we have three different products we can go after. They were originally a supercharged uh, sales bot or, or because you can leverage them to get 70 data points on yourself and I can better target you with very personalized uh, messaging so that I can better service you, right? Um, offered you better tailored products, et cetera, et cetera, which is good for the customer, but um, they weren't quite getting the uptick there. Or the key is how they can charge instead of a dollar per search per person for upwards of $100, which is pretty unheard of. That took an iteration that took multiple products of them launching and saying, okay, well, we're getting uh, some uptick here. There's some consumer demand, but uh, where we're, we're really starting to get where we're charging the most, when we model it out, when we compare it relative to the products, when we look at the sales cycle and how fast we can close them, because we've already closed a couple, it really started to come to, to fruition at the idea of around uh, ins insurance and fraud detection. They were beating insurance fraud teams, the manual teams. They were faster, uh, less errors, and cheaper, right? All the good stuff, right? Uh, so, and they're still able to charge 100 bucks a search. Uh, when they kind of uncovered that, and then they recognized how quickly they were closing deals, you're like, wow, okay. So they've, they've found their flywheel right? They found this growth channel. They found their target area to go after the flywheel was the ability to find how they line them up and lock them down type of thing. Um, all that was, a uh, was like hypothesis testing in my mind. Like, you know, you have assumptions, they see a path, they see a bigger vision of where they want to go to. They know there's a lot more that can be built and stuck and attached and associated to it. Uh, the, the decision and the instincts to go from three products down to one, uh, COVID didn't make it easy either. They also had raised a bunch of money on a different belief, had to go back to investors and say, we have a different belief now. You can imagine what it's like as you're the investor going, oh, I thought we were going this way, right? Uh, but you need to trust your founder's instincts. They're at the front of the line. They know it really well. If they, if, if, if you don't understand, you just need like, sometimes they need times and you work with the founders to unpack it, to better communicate it. Because at the end, then it'll be easier for the more people to join this cause. Uh, the best founders will understand that and appreciate that, you know, they, they do need to put words behind what they're doing and story tell the opportunity to make sure that it is very clear in that, but that ability to just be relentless of, of knowing, okay, we're, we're, we're stuck here. I need to solve for this. Here are different assumptions. Let's test this and just relentlessly persisting until they get there. Now there's always the hard part though, is when are you in a business that, it's upside and, and what you're building and that what you have, it, it's like a, a collection of feature creep. I've been in that story before. Uh, I had another a very senior tech founder, uh, loved work them, great culture. You know, we're excited to be able to do a business together. You know, after several months, we kind of looked at it and went, did we just build a collection of features that, that you know, is, we're not, I don't see the bigger game at this point. It would have required a heavy pivot and then being able to say, okay, this isn't the, the right play or the timing or whatnot. That is a very difficult decision to do. And you need to get there as fast as possible, which is incredibly hard as a founder because you're hanging on to your baby. So um, it's easy to say, okay, the winners, right? But then how do you identify those? You know, one of the biggest things they say is market timing is everything right in it. And I hundred percent agree, but in many ways you might have something that's close and the ability for the founder to pivot into where the market is. And that's what we saw at all, right there. 
sale selling the sales bot wasn't working. I bet you in the future, people are going to start buying into that. The augmented due diligence gap wasn't quite there, but the, the pure, the nice area with the flywheels, the wind streams, you know, pushing them forward really came on the insurance uh, fraud detection side. And so the best founders will like recognize that there is pockets of wind that they can catch to help them fly. That's a great story. And, and I love the fact that the founder really dug in to take the time to understand what the business and what the real model was, and then not be afraid to pivot, but bring it to the investors and say, hey, look, we need to make this change. And uh, what's great about that story as well is about uh, probably four months ago, I had the opportunity of talking with Sean, and um, I, we did dive into some of this. So uh, it was pretty cool then to hear it, but now to hear even more data on how it worked, even more exciting because it really shapes the the drive behind the founder and the great things that they're doing. So uh, that's fantastic and and uh, an awesome story. Um, well, we're gonna we're gonna transition now into our rapid fire questions. Uh, so pick one or the other. We'll start on the business side. Ready to roll? Sure. Let's let's bring it. I guess uh, hopefully this coffee's kicked in at this point. Let's go. All right. Perfect. All right. Founder or co-founder? So, uh, sorry, I'm trying, like, as in. If you would invest, would you invest in a founder or a co-founder? Uh, we prefer co-founders. We prefer multiple disciplined teams, but we, unlike others, we won't say no to a founder. Okay. Uh, unicorn or four-year 10x exit? Uh, we're, 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 we're swinging for the fences. We are really certainly going for unicorns, but you know, okay. Getting a couple of these base hits along the way. Okay. Tech or CPG? Everything is tech right now for us. We're very B2B right now. Um, hence why we were looked at it that way, but, uh, yeah, more, I'll just rapid fire is tech. <laughs> okay. Brand or tech? Brand or tech? I love tech, but uh, brands and good distribution channels and whatnot can sell better. So you can have a crappy product in front of people and still be able to sell it. So, but, you know, I do believe that your brand will falter through time if you don't have the right tech. So, um, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. I'm, you know, maybe I'll say your tech needs to feed your brand in some ways too. So the story of your tech needs to come out in your brand. Perfect. AI or blockchain? I love blockchain right now because it's less well understood. Um, I, I think there are still a lot of blue ocean to go after in it. Although we are, we used to be Holt Exchange or Holt, Holt Accelerator AI. I think every company should be doing AI is a fancy word for just like uh, augmented analytics for the most part right now. So uh, bullish on this uh, new, you know, web 3.0. Okay. First time founder or second or third time founder? Uh, I mean, obviously preference for a second or third time founder. They have enough uh, uh, stripes on their belt or, or battle wounds to show for it uh, when, when, when feasible. That's for sure. Okay. Angel or VC? uh we play with both of them we like them in different ways it's just about what is best for the the company if a good prefer to work with the the vcs and institutions that we do align with 
Although like anything, you can have ones that uh, are, are aggressive and want to, to push you out for their own particular rounds. So each have their pros and cons, shall we say. But if you work with a good institutional VC, they can play a big strategic role in supporting. We're all about co-investing and they can have you know, usually more depth to be able to support the entrepreneurs. Okay. Uh, would you, do you prefer taking board seats or observer seats? We prefer for the moment right now, considering the, 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 the amount of portfolio companies is observer seats, but even then we're not as big as taking the seats. We feel we have through our own mechanisms, our own meetings, our own time that we get enough FaceTime with them that we, we know enough about the company itself. We can influence the direction. We have a good enough relationship. We don't like, we don't even believe in like having too much essentially like pushing the control that we've been fine uh, with, with no seats even. Okay. Safe for a convertible note. Uh, the, the people are generally moving towards the safe, which is a convertible, which kind of is a convertible note in some ways when you think about it, you know, but um generally that's the clean we watch what usually comes out of the u.s and the valley and really simplified safes or kisses right is just keep it as clean as possible seems the way to go but depends right we just want what's best for entrepreneurs if you were to actually look in asia right now convertible notes are uh still all the rage and if that's easier for them to close the round we'll do it but preference right now to keep it as easy as possible okay uh lead or follow uh, we're generally a follower right now, per se, uh, although we kind of get thrust into this sort of lead roles occasionally where we prop up others, we give our data to, we help support the pricing and even the documentation for certain rounds. Uh, but more often we are, we're, we're technically following. Equity or interest payments? Uh, equity. Favorite part of investing? Founders. Number of companies invested per year? Uh, eight. Preferred terms? Uh, we're generally on what we call ACEs that look like a safe essentially right now, uh, which then gets us pref shares on the next round. Okay. Uh, and, uh, well, <laughs> verticals of focus? Well, fintech is itself being a generalist as the, as the joke goes for those that are in the space. So within that, there's a whole gambit, right? Like we, we, we bucket into uh, wealth tech and, and cryptocurrency and, and payments and uh, like insurance and cybersecurity. So um, anything within the fintech. And what are two things that stand out that you need to see to make an investment into a startup? Uh, I mean, the big thing they have to hit are our four quadrant, which is um, their four axis blueprint. So founder market uh, financing product. And then underneath that, obviously, we go deeper. But another big caveat. So the second one I would say is the fit with our advisory ecosystem. Right, the ability for them to uh, we we we're always looking to see through our five hundred advisors whether or not that can be value add to them and there's a need so that we can accelerate any of those exchanges. Perfect. Okay, we're going to jump into the rapid fire personal questions. Cool. All right, book or movie? Uh, depends on how I'm feeling. 
<laughs> is that a good, is that a fair answer? Uh, if, if over the holidays, if I have time to step back book, if I am, uh, really exhausted after, you know, another, you know, hundred hour slog, uh, let's watch a really brain dead movie. All right. Superman or Batman. Uh, gotta go with Batman. Just love, uh, love the human side to him. That seems to always, uh, uh, you know, the perseverance of human, I suppose. Love it. Pizza pop or ice cream bar? Ice cream every day, all day. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Uh, I wonder, I feel like Oprah might actually, you might better connect with her. I don't know if Bezos would be fully at attention at that point. He's got too much stuff going on. I feel like uh, Oprah has been, at least at least she looks like it from how she conveys in her shows. I like it. Arsenal or Manchester United? Not a football fan. So I'm trying to think what would my girlfriend be more annoyed with if I picked which, which company. Let's go. I think uh, Manchester United. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I like that. All right. Different. Uh, bike or rollerblades? Uh, I'm a, I'm a rollerblader. I like to, you know, people like to make fun of me, but I'm pretty hardcore about it. I get uh, pretty suited up and I go on the canal and I get out the rollerblades. It's a lot of, it's a good time. Oh, the canal is awesome. That's cool. Uh, Big Mac or chicken McNuggets? Uh, I mean, I, I'm a big extra fan to be honest. So I'm going to throw a curveball in there, uh, but add the Big Mac sauce. So I guess that puts me closer to the Big Mac category. All right. Trophy or money? Trophy or money? Um, Donuts, you know, money can buy you more stuff to do more good with it. So uh, right now I'd be say taking the money. Beer or wine? Uh, I'm a big IPA fan, but I guess it depends on the time of day. Uh, So what am I having? What am I eating? I guess is the question. Over a meal, give me some red wine. All right. Uh, Alarm clock or mobile phone? uh oh mobile phone all the way for better for worse i don't know if that's a good thing but nothing wakes you up faster than reading a bunch of emails hotel or hostel uh hostel is i've kind of grown past at this point i'm gonna need my rest i'm going for a hotel king or rich sorry king or rich king or rich king 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 or queen king or rich or rich um I think I'd prefer just to be rich. The fame that comes with being the king and the responsibility seems uh, seems 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 daunting versus rich, where you can control things silently, I suppose, and in a good way. <laughs> I like it. Concert or amusement park? Uh, I guess it depends on the day. Right now, I'm I'm craving a good concert. To be honest, I miss uh, miss with the days when Oceaga was open, and hopefully, we're going to get that back soon. Agreed. Fortune cookie or birthday cake? Uh, birthday cake, especially ice cream cake. Going back to one of your earlier questions. Bam. Agreed. TED talk or book reading? More often, if I'm in the have the energy capacity, I want to read a good book. Then. All right, we're getting close. Favorite sports team. Uh, hang on to it going way back to my roots, uh, for better, for worse. And where it's worse this year, Ottawa senators. Nice. Uh, favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie? 
favorite movie the only one that comes top of mind is as as geeky as it sounds right now is uh i guess the matrix because it's coming up right now on uh, december 22nd so i guess if you're if that's the movie then you obviously want to be keanu in that i like it uh favorite book uh geez i feel like sometimes we're we're trying to ask me what my my top security questions are right now but um The uh, the uh, I really liked uh, still do remember Sapiens when I first read that one. I thought that was uh, one to just give me a very different perspective to challenge my kind of my purpose, I suppose, and say, hey, what's it all for? But came out stronger for it. That's a great book. Great book. Uh, All right. First brand that pops into your mind. Uh, Nike but mostly because of Jordan. So I feel like maybe is it Jordan? <laughs> True. Uh, most famous person that pops in your mind. Uh, Elon Musk, I guess. I don't know. Maybe because I just saw some Twitter that he just did. Right. So. Awesome. All right. Last question. What is your superpower? My superpower. I think I am relatively patient. <laughs> Although when you're when you get tired that your superpower needs to recharge at times, but I think that's uh pretty key to to have and because there's always three sides to a story and, and being able to, you know, have the patience to be able to to properly listen through all of it is is, is pretty key. Agreed. No, that's a huge skill to have, and especially when you're working with a lot of different startups and investing i think patience is probably the best thing you can have because nothing comes right away and things take a lot of time so i think that's a, a great quality well jan i want to thank you very much for all your time today i appreciate all the things that you've shared i've taken lots of notes as i always do I have to show it can't really see it but uh i'm a note taker but this was good i appreciate the whole walkthrough love what you guys are doing um huge focus on on all of fintech uh, generalized or not, pretty amazing. Uh, thank you again for all your insights and the way we like to end things is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to the investor community or to the startup community, I turn it over to you, but thanks again for all your time. Awesome. Well, appreciate the last word. I'd say that two things. One, we're always looking for world-class advisors to join this army here. Uh, they've been fantastic, incredibly value-add, and they see a lot of great value with their ability to connect with other advisors, make some deals with our startups, learn a whole bunch in a pretty fun way. I check out our last show that we pulled off. And with that, we have an advisor-only fundraise. It's kind of the only thing I've ever seen in the way we built it, incredibly unique. So happy to talk through those advisors who are interested in, in participating, which I truly believe is the future of VC investing. Uh, and then the other the great founders out there, always willing to, to, to have conversations, right? See if we can support, see if we just have, let you know where we think you fit, position relative specifically to us or to others, and see if there's a time that you know we can potentially invest, collaborate as we go into next year and we look for our next eight batch of companies. I love it, Jen. Thank you very much again. That was brilliant. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much for the time. Super appreciated. You bet. Okay, that was a great discussion with Jen and we uh, really liked some of the things that you brought up, especially on the four pieces that they look for, founder, market, finance, and product. A great way to kind of put together what that startup looks like. You talked about ESOP programs and how you should be setting up your business, when you should be getting into a CFO or when you should be bringing that type of person and that role on. Uh, you know, like anything you do, learn, 
Uh, what's the financial value? What's the branding? Who are you going to meet? And what's the work environment like? So a lot of great things to unfold. But again, Jan, thank you very much for uh, for deep diving on that. Um, and uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. If uh, you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our Stitcher. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events at opn.ninja. Have a great week.